I'm Gloria Howell, and welcome to Bring It On, a multiple award-winning radio broadcast in our 18th year as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community. And hey there, good evening. I'm Laquiba Reese. Welcome to the Women's History Month. Woo-woo on Bring It On. During this month, women will anchor and lead discussions on a variety of topics with many focusing upon African-American women. On last Tuesday, the Monroe County Community School Board approved an anti-racism policy after deciding not to vote on it during last month's meeting. A student equity ambassador group created last fall helped draft the policy along with school administrators. The district also received support from the Midwest and Plains Equity Assistance Center. Yeah, and then four of the student equity ambassadors were also SWAGGER, which stands for students who act generously, grow and earn respect, award recipients in the ninth and the 12th grade category. They are Sydney Crosley, Sabra Wagner, J.O. Davis, and Stephanie Franklin. They display exceptional leadership in social justice activism by advocating for anti-racism policy to be included in the MCCSC student handbook. District leaders made several changes to the policy since its first reading in December because of feedback from the community, including changing the policy's name from a racial equity policy to an anti-racism policy. The revised policy includes a commitment that the district will introduce plans to track and enforce the policy's objectives as soon as possible. And joining us this evening to unpack the new anti-racism policy are student equity ambassadors, Sydney Crosley and J.L. Davis. Also joining us is Ruth Ike, a concerned citizen who joined the Monroe County branch of the NAACP in 2018, initially working on a report on race and criminal justice in Monroe County. Ladies, welcome to Bring It On. Hello. How are you all doing? You all can go ahead and just talk a little bit about, we're so happy to have you here on this beautiful day. We're so happy to have you. Um, uh, join join us. I'm doing good. I'm happy to be here. Thank you guys for inviting us. You are welcome. You are welcome. So we have a ton of questions for y'all. Y'all ready? Yes, I'm ready. Yes, <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, I'm going to kick it off. I want to say thank you all so much for the work that you've done, the persistence um, and the incredible, um, I would say, focus. I like to call you all thought leaders because you were really intentional about the work. Um, and so our first question goes to uh, JL and uh, Sydney. If you all will take a moment to answer the first question. So creating and co-creating policy, as you know, and as students, isn't something that happens all the time in schools. Um, will you all speak on the importance of collaboration among students, parents, families, and school administrators and board? Well, I think it's super important to have to just collaborate in general, because I feel like without collaborating, we wouldn't have as much as uh, connections as we do now. I know when I first thought about um, creating an anti-racism policy, I kind of felt um, alone. And um, as, as soon as I started to gain more connections and meet more people who have the same or similar ideas as me, I felt um, like I felt 
a community and it also gave me perspective. It gave me uh, skills and knowledge that I could add into the policy. And I thought it was just super important. And I will like continue to collaborate with the, the same people who have the same ideas as, as me or even people who have different ideas as me. It's always important to have that connection and communication. So um, it really helped me find a community, find a place. Um, so yes. Thank you, JL. Can you, first I just wanna say also congratulations. Um, we're going to celebrate these victories with you all. Um, so Sydney, JL, all of the, the equity ambassadors, all the folks that have championed this work alongside with you and worked with you, we just want to celebrate you today um, and, and look forward to working with you more to support you um, in the school. So I wanted to ask before we get into kind of the process of creating um, the, the policy and working together on that, can you take us back to the point um, can you identify that point where you said, okay, enough is enough. We have to do something. Can you take us back, um, JL or Sydney, whichever one of you want to take in, and maybe both of you want to respond to that. Um, but we want to know kind of what was, what was the point that sparked you to say, we're going to do something about this? Um, well, for me, I remember uh, just coming from Indianapolis and also moving to Arizona, and I experienced a lot of racism in Arizona. So when I moved to Bloomington, um, it wasn't as prevalent to me as it is now because I lived in a predominantly Black area. And so um, I think like the breaking point for me is when I seen a student uh, recreate the George Floyd incidents in the school library after school, and nobody was doing anything about it. And so that that angered me and that made me really mad because there was so much racism going on and there's still so many incidents that are left unsaid and even teachers or staff won't do anything about it. And so I was like, what can I do to make the school community feel more safe for the very little people of color that we have here? And so um, as one of the vice presidents of Black Culture Club last year, I started doing research and I was like, an anti-racism policy sounds amazing. And, um, so I was um, collaborating with a, a bunch of students as well as my um, school sponsor for Black Culture Club, which is Julia Johnson. I love her so much. She's been very resourceful. And with you guys as well, you guys gave me so much insights, NAACP, Tanisha Riley, all of my mentors, they just helped me so much. So yeah, that's kind of where it all began. Thank I would you. Say, oh, go ahead, Cindy, sorry. I would say the breaking point for me, um, I guess I've always, I've always grown up in Bloomington, um, there was always like I was usually the only one um, black person in my classes um, but I would say like when I got to high school I like the amount of racism that I saw was at an all-time high for me um, and I would say the breaking point for me was I was in class and a teacher said the n-word and I think that was just like the really big breaking point for me. Hmm. 
um, man, I have so many questions after that. Cause it's like, what, what prompted them to even say the word? And then I was, I'm, I'm always curious, how did this conversation take place at home? Uh, and so I'm gonna shut down some of my brain to really lean into the way that you all processed and, and developed, I guess, lessons from this um, experience. And so I guess I'm curious of what lessons did you learn throughout this process? Like, what did you learn about yourself and your collective voice? Um, and what really ignited that opportunity to continue the collaboration that you mentioned, Dale? And Sydney, either one you can answer, but I know that you specifically mentioned collaboration. So I'm curious of like, how did that, how did you, how did that ignite your process to, to essentially, I guess, maintain um, the process, especially after hearing the N-word? I would, I don't, whew, you all, you have so much grace, it seems like, but I'm just curious. Something that would just really encourage me were my mentors, number one, my parents. I had a lot of support behind me and also realizing that student voice can make so much change. And although there's not a lot of us speaking out, I feel that Sydney, Sabra, Safine, and I, we can be voices for people who don't like feel comfortable speaking out. And so that's really what um, motivated me and encouraged me. Like random people would come up to me and be like, wow, you're just so inspirational. I wish I would have done this as a student. I wish I would have had more voice as a shown more courage as a student. And that really um, fueled me, even when times got tough. Like there were certain times I felt like this was like just never going to happen, but it was all like number one through the grace of God. And then also just with the community that I have, the support that I have. Yes, thank you, Janelle. You that is so important. And Makuba and I both work with with students um, all the time. And I was just telling actually a group of students yesterday um, about how it's so important for students to feel confident and bold enough to even give feedback and to give um, constructive criticism in their schools, in their communities, um, because these these things that happen they don't happen in a vacuum right they they happen in ways that impact all of us and so um the fact that you and Sydney and um uh Safine and Sabra and all of you the as equity ambassadors were um being a voice for others who may not have had as much boldness or um you know who may not have just felt that it was the right time for them to say something um I like to tell people sometimes it's not just about um, having voice is about people having a mic. They have the voice and they have things to say, but how often do we give them a platform to speak? And and it seems like that's a lot of what you um, what you and Sydney did, but you didn't do it um, alone, which is also something that you all referenced. So can you talk a little bit about, um, Sydney, can you take this one, talk about the folks that championed alongside you? So um, you mentioned Dr. Riley, you mentioned the NAACP. Can you talk a little bit about um, what folks did right when it came to advocating for you? Because we want this whole conversation to be a lesson um, at the end of the day for how we can support you. So can you talk a little bit about um, steps that were taken in supporting you 
um, that these folks did, most of whom are older adults. But can you talk about some things that they did um, that were right in supporting you and advocating for you? Yeah, so um, we uh, we all have like so much support, whether that be from our parents and mentors or our friends. But I think the steps that like our mentors took, like um, Dr. Tanisha Riley um, is making sure that we were safe and we knew like, like we were safe and we had a good platform to speak on. And um, also um, people coming out to um, school board meetings when we would talk or just asking if we like needed help or any feedback um, or giving out emails or um, setting up Zoom meetings to give feedback or ask if they could help in any way have been really big and impactful during this whole process. Thank you. Thank you, Sydney, for sharing that. Um, before we continue with the conversation, just want to remind our listeners that we're here with some amazing, amazing, amazing women in honor of Black History, Black History well, we could say Black History Month too. <laughs> we just got, we, we wrapped up Black History Month, now we're in Women's History Month, but hey, where I'm at, we celebrate Black History Month all day, every day, so that's okay too. Um, but we that are part, here. Okay. <laughs> that part. There's nothing wrong with that. But um, my amazing co-anchor, McCleaver Reese, and I'm Gloria Howell, and we're here with um, these amazing, amazing women, Sydney Crossley, J.L. Davis, um, Ruth Eit, who are here um, to talk about the recent, um, we're going to say recent victories with the MCC anti-racism policy. So if you're just joining us, we're talking about the policy. We're talking about the process and making that happen. And we're hearing from the folks who are a part of that. So thank you for joining us. Makweba. Yes, thank you. Yes, I echo and snaps to Black History Month, uh, 365 days. Uh, so happy to um, be a part of the um, Women's History Month too. Ruth, I would love to ask you this question, get you on to this, um, bring you into this and unpacking your process, how you navigated this um, as the chairperson for the NAACP slash Concerned Citizen and how you championed this, uh, whether you like to stay behind the scenes, I like to say in front, your, the mic was given to you to really allow and support um, uh, the policy behind the scenes to ensure that um, there was true like umph to it, right? Like it just needed to get stronger. And so I'm curious about why was it important for the NAACP to get invo involved in this effort alongside, alongside students? Well, the students came and spoke to us about their concerns. I think it was in June of last year. And then again, a couple months later. And I think uh, several members started following what was going on. Some people started attending the board meetings. I certainly was motivated and inspired to attend and speak up um, and try and do what I could to help the students. And then as the policy um, was released in December, we had started meeting by then and were hopeful, but um, the students here, as well as some of us who were talking within the NAACP were concerned that the first version was not as strong as it needed to be. 
And part of the mission of the MAACP is to advance policies and practices. And so this seemed very much in line with what uh, the NAACP is there to do. And I think um, that's, that's the reason it's important, right? And I think it's important for our branch to try and be there as a bridge at times and certainly building on the history of the NAACP as an organization um, that is listened to. And I'm so grateful that the students came and spoke to us. I think if they hadn't, I probably would not have been aware of what was going on within the schools. I don't have kids in school. Um, you know, it's obvious to me when the bus runs late because I see kids standing on this, the corner waiting for it. But a lot of these issues that long-term were so much more important are not obvious. So thanks, so many thanks to them. Thank you, Ruth. Um, you mentioned the, the NAACP's mission in terms of advancing policies and practices. And so I'm wondering, um, and we know that the, the NAACP, one of the things that the organization called for was um, essentially a stronger policy. And so that meant some, that were implications for the language that was in the policy in terms of how things read. And and um, because of course that would have impact on how it was perceived and how it was implemented. Um, so could you say a couple of things about the policy itself in terms of um, maybe some things that changed, um, some, some things that the NAACP called for um, when the the reading the the first reading happened or the second reading happened, I can't remember which one. But but when we asked for the the revisions, can you talk a little bit about some of the changes um, and the content of the policy itself? Sure, and I'll also invite um, JL and Sydney to chime in because part of what our subcommittee tried to do was to make sure that we listened to what they were asking for as those who were kind of in the thick of things and who were experiencing the harm that motivated this work and not to discount what the whole student equity ambassadors came up with. But I think um, obviously a big change was the change from the title from racial equity to anti-racism. And um, I think that sends a much stronger message and commitment on the part of the administration and board to say what needs to be done and not where we hope to be. Um, so I think that was a really critical change. And yeah, um, I think the other area that was so perhaps not uh, as key to the students, but to me as somebody who's hoping to try and keep an eye on what's going on is the level of accountability and reporting to the board and to the community. So we've learned, you know, that the guidelines as far as those who, who, who do the harm within the schools, that will be coming down the road. That's not part of the policy level. But as far as communication and transparency, um, there are so many competing factors that the administration and the board are trying to deal with in the schools. And I 
I don't envy their situation at all. But I think it's so important that this reporting accountability is visible to the community and the community continues to say this is a priority and don't set it aside while you deal with the buses not running on time or whatever. We have to continue to work on this. And I'm hopeful that some of the um, additional language that was added will make that something that is possible to monitor. And also for the long term, not just depending on the staff who are there now or the board who are there now, but really this is a long term challenge. Um, that as a community, we need to be aware of and to, to get behind. Thank you so much, Ruth, um, especially for bringing up the, the changes from the previous policy to where we are now, because one of the things that I believe was mentioned is that um, how do you co-create with individuals that's already doing the work um, and not like take away from that, but how do you advance or um, how do you enhance it? Um, and that was some of the some of the things that I believe was really important and imperative um, working through this process. Like ego is the goal was ego to be out of it. And so I'm curious of how um, the changes of uh, the policy for uh, JL and Sydney, the uh, the changes of the policy, the terms. How important was that for you all when you saw the final um, the final drafts uh, sent to uh, MCCSC? Um, and then was uh, approved. So how, Sorry. no, you're fine. I was muted. <laughs> I know you were saying something good. <laughs> um, Sydney, Sabra and I, we usually do our um, little meetings before the school board meeting at Starbucks. And we were like writing things down on what to say and um, what, we pointed out was that racial equity and anti-racism are very different things and we really wanted to discuss that but we only had two minutes so it was just like we had to split between each like conversation or like section or topic and so um something that really stood out to us the most was the difference between anti-racism and racial equity and, um, you know, defining racial equity is the process of eliminating racial disparities and improving outcomes for everyone, yes, but it's more of like, we're going to get there. And I feel like anti-racism is more of saying, we need this now. We are against racism, basically. We want to see change. And I feel like that's a way more powerful word than just say, saying racial equity or racial equality, even though those things are very important. So that was one thing that really stood out to me. I love how they took, um, our adjustments and listened to us and said, we're gonna add this in there. Um, I really love that. There was a lot of transparency and understanding in the policy. So I'm very excited to see where the guidelines lead us because obviously I can see that they're listening now. And that was like very important to me that they were willing to hear us. So yeah. Thank you, JL. Sydney, kind of continuing along uh, that part of the conversation, you said that JL said that now she's, she sees that they're listening, right? JL, am I saying that correctly? That they're listening to you. Um, so Sydney, if you could talk a little bit about 
what are some things that you want the MCC administration, the school board, um, all these different folks that are sitting in very, very critical seats, what are some things that you want them to know um, or things that you hope that they have learned from this process from start to finish? How do you think, um, what do you want, what do you want to say that are lessons that they have learned about you all um, and how to approach things like this in the future? Um, lessons I've learned is that like student or not that I've learned, but lessons I want them to learn. It's like student voice is really, really critical. I mean, MCCSC board is for students. Like it's about not only students, but it's like all the MCCS schools have students in them and students are like the biggest part of decisions or ideas that they have and it affects all of us. Um, and like, although like we are some of the first students that speak out on things, we're not gonna be the last. There's not going to be like this, like there's not going to be any more students that speak. There's going to be more students that feel the need to speak on topics or things they feel wrong in the school. And they're going to want to talk about this. So we're definitely not going to be the last students that have something to say. Um, and I think that like we have done a really good job. And I think student voice is like the biggest thing. Um, or biggest lesson I want them to learn. Thank you so much for sharing that. And so I, so I'm curious of what do we do now? Like what happens, what happens now that the policy has been um, implemented? Now we're looking forward to the guidelines. Um, Ruth, and I, this is uh, directed towards you um, specifically. Uh, Sydney and JL, feel free to chime in uh, as well. But I'm curious, what do we do now? What do we do now? What's next? I don't have an exact answer, but I hope what's next is that we continue to build relationships and support the good work that gets done within MCCSE and remind them if necessary to listen to students. So I'm a slow learner at times, you know, I'm not always a great listener. And so I need to be reminded and I suspect um, others may be as well. But one of the things I think that I certainly want to pay attention to, I think the branch does, is this policy was for students and the repercussions um, or consequences, I guess is a better way to say it, are directed towards students. I think that there's another part of the policy manual that is directed towards staff. And I know in the anti-harassment policy, they're kind of like, a pair of policies. I suspect and think there needs to be a pair of policies um, also on the anti-racism work so that it's not just students who get the message that this is not acceptable behavior, but also that everyone in the school environment, and we've heard again today, you know, there are teachers, there are others who think that this is appropriate and it's not. So that's definitely an area um, that I, I think needs to happen. I think that has more um, loophole or not loopholes, um, hoops, that's the right word to jump through in terms of like the union and other things, but I'm ready to start jumping, I guess. 
I would I would agree with that, honestly. Um, I also just want to mention very quickly, just to not let it die down. A lot of the time, um, you know, things like these, they kind of die down or people stop talking about it. But I want everyone to actively um, promote it and talk about it and how it's necessary. Because years from now, I want to see change. I want to see improvements to the anti-racism policy. And so I just don't want it to be the exact same. Like the bullying policy that we have right now has been the same since like 2014. And I don't want the anti-racism policy to be like that. I want it to continue to improve. I want um, other students to chime in and be, be a voice because me, Sydney, Sabra, so fine, we're not all gonna be here. Like we're all, we're not gonna be here forever, you know? So I want it to continue to grow, not let it die down and just encourage students to have a voice. Thank you. Thank you, JL. Um, that is so, 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 so important um, that the, the fact that you're talking about longevity and sustainability with this and how the conversations have, have to keep going. And um Makweba, we were talking about this earlier, um, the fact that change on multiple levels can be ignited by young people, right? And so um, I talked to some some kids at the, the Montessori school. I, I read to them in our topic. It was so much fun. I, I think that's what I'm going to do in my next life is teach the children at the Montessori. Um, but we talked about uh, young people that have made a difference. So we talked about Amanda Gorman. We talked about John Lewis. Um, and we know that we, we we think about folks like John Lewis and Martin Luther King Jr., um, Rosa Parks even. We, we, we talk about them um, and think about them in ways of like, oh, they're seasoned and they're very old and things like that um, because we weren't around you know, when they were here or, or we were very, very young when they were alive. But we forget that, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. Um, started all of his, he started ministry young. He started doing work for social justice very young. Um, John Lewis met him at the age of 18. And that's when he, you know, catapulted into this like social justice, just powerhouse and making change in the world. So, um, Makweba, I think it's just really cool that we have like two young people here that yeah. are in high school, you know, doing yes. this type of work. So, um, and I know that we had talked about some historical things in yes. reference to today with yes. one of those people. So um, how are you feeling about that? Yeah, well, I mean, I'll chime in real quick. Um, if Sydney and JL definitely want to hear from your perspective, today is... Uh, um, the anniversary of Bloody Sunday, March 7th, 1965, um, in Selma, Montgomery. Um, it was a huge riot that took place, and they were young. A lot of people, like what Gloria is saying, it's like a lot of people perceive um, that people were older, but it actually starts with the young generation. And so just to kind of piggyback off of what uh, Gloria is saying and connecting with you, both Sydney and, um, and JL here with us today, I'm just curious of how, 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 I don't really know if I could say how cool it is because it's, I hate that it's still a challenge that we're still fighting for our rights today. But I'm curious of like the fact that you, not saying that you have to be, think like, oh, I'm leading this movement, but essentially your legacy will live beyond your, you today. And so I'm curious of like, do you, 
do you see this as a legacy um, uh, movement uh, that you all are igniting uh, from the past, from our ancestors? Do you believe that you are a part of the legacy of civil rights activists? I never really thought about it like that. Like I never thought about how I could be kind of considered a leg legacy or like how we could be considered a legacy. Um, I think that that's so awesome and that's very cool. And um, I, but I definitely didn't really, that really didn't sink into me until now. That's like a really, that's a, that's a, that's a loaded question. It's deep. <laughs> It's really cool and it's very inspiring. Like years ago, I wouldn't have seen myself as someone who could actively speak against, you know, uh, conversations and discussions like racism or e or even even other topics that are hard to talk about. So I think it's definitely cool, and I, I want to continue to um, make a change and make a difference, but I also wanna encourage other people that it doesn't just have to stop with me or Sydney or Safine or Sabra. Um, I want it to continue and hopefully people can be inspired by us to do better. Love that, love that. Thank you, thank you, JL. And again, for folks that just tune in, um, welcome, thank you for being with us. Uh, McQueba Reese, my co-anchor, and myself, Gloria Howell, are here with Sydney Crossley, JL Davis, and Ruth Eit, and we're talking about um, the NCCSC new anti-racism policy um, that was just adopted um, a few days ago, and so we're talking about that, the process of making that happen with students and some of their supporters. So, Moving forward, um, I want to go back to Ruth, if we can. Um, we know that the 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 anti-racism policy um, points to a lot of obviously big issues um, with the the school environment that needed to be addressed. But um, we know that there are other things that may be happening. Like we know that um, something that was brought up in previous school board meetings was school discipline. Um, and, and there are several things, just when we, when we look at the K-12 system in general, there's just a lot of things that um, are coming to the surface, a lot of things that could be changed for the better. So wondering, um, Ruth, if you could talk a little bit about um, will number one, will this this subcommittee um, continue its work? And if so, um, what how do you think the work is going to be advanced or expanded um, as we move forward? Are there other things or goals that um, I know you're only one person and we know that you're you like to say you're in the background, but um, we know that you have been very, very um, important in, in leading the charge here and 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 getting everyone to, to come together. So um, recognizing that, of course, you're not speaking for everybody on the committee. They may have other thoughts, but can you talk about in your mind, what are some, um, how will this committee continue to move forward and things that may be important for you all to look at? Yeah, I hope that we will continue. I think that there's a lot of uh, dedication from those who have been involved and certainly a recognition of need. I think that we have a potential role in helping um, 
share information out from MCCSC. So for example, I just got signed up for the newsletter and I see that they are looking for um, volunteers to help look at a new math curriculum that's culturally aware. So I forwarded that to a couple folks, um, hoping that maybe it would reach people who normally would not be aware of that. So I think that's definitely a way the subcommittee could then uh, send messages to the branch overall. I hope that um, students and parents will see us as advocates if they feel they need advocates and that we can build a good trust relationship uh, with the students and parents and also with MCCSC. And um, I believe some of the new uh, goals that are there, for example, the discipline disparity goal, I'm glad that that is being talked about and being shared publicly. And I think the subcommittee um, will continue to follow those things and ask questions and um, encourage some of those conversations that are not the easy ones to have. But I think, I mean, part of what I really appreciated with the delay in the vote on the policy was I felt it gave an opportunity for more people to speak up about their own experiences and to share the positives with some of the relationship building and other things. So I think continuing to say this matters and to um, hopefully encourage the board to give space for those discussions to occur. Thank you so much, Ruth. I have a follow-up question uh, for you. So I know we can talk all the policy, the group, all the things, but let the listeners know, what was your first response when you saw the changes? I'm curious of what was your first initial <laughs> response? How did that happen? What went through your mind? Let us know. Let us know what happened. So uh, I think I had about eight first responses. One of them was like, because when we got the email, they did not say the name of the policy. So they said like policy 5518. So I honestly had not expected the name to change. So I finally opened it and I was like pinching myself. And then, well, not what I felt like that, like, is this real, you know? And then I also really, you know, hoped that the students would feel um, that this was a success because it didn't have everything that they had hoped for that we had asked for. Um, and I was so glad to hear that they do view this as a, as a very positive um, change that, that is needed. And I was proud of the work that we all did. Um, I think we spent quite a bit of time on the subcommittee um, trying to balance the need to get uh, suggestions or recommended changes to MCCSC so they could continue and also trying to be thoughtful about saying why we felt the changes were important. Um, so yeah, and then kind of like, oh my gosh. Um, and then again, it's just the first step, but it's an important one. So many, many first thoughts. <laughs> And then I just had a real quick follow-up because I know you mentioned, I know I got all these follow-ups. Um, I know you mentioned the idea of we didn't get all the changes. So advocacy um, is almost like, it's not an extreme negotiation, but it's like a tug and pull, right? And so 
when noticing that all of the recommendations wasn't uh, adopted, um, wh what would you say to young people that are looking to uh, continue this advocacy work and maybe they don't get everything, um, but they might get something. So what would you say to um, individuals, up and coming uh, thought leaders, advocates, as it relates to knowing that you might get some things and you might not get some things? Uh, could you let us know a little bit about that, um, that process that you uh, perhaps navigated? Sure, and one thing that I would suggest that uh, young people do if there's an opportunity and, and that we did was to ask for the reasons um, if something wasn't adopted to hear feedback about why it wasn't. And um, throughout my lifetime, which is much longer than most of yours, uh, all of yours, um, you know, that's how I've learned. So I, they did that for us. And I really appreciate that because it helped me see, oh, okay, they took out um, staff because that's not appropriate for a student policy. So that told me that needs to go somewhere else. So to, to communicate and to be open to hearing and learning. And I've learned so much from the students and, you know, through some of it was through Dr. Riley, who was on our subcommittee, but things that looked okay to me in the policy that weren't okay. And I didn't understand, I didn't see it. I didn't understand why, but now I understand. And so that's my, my suggestion is to ask for an explanation, help me understand your perspective, because there are, there are multiple points of view. Um, and sometimes you can find you know, a way to do both, both and. Thank you, Ruth. Um, Sydney and JL, wondering if you can speak to accountability. You talked about that being incredibly important and transparency. Um, so if you can, to the extent that you can, could you speak a little bit about um, what it means now that we have the policy to hold um, folks who are responsible for enforcing that policy accountable? Um, I think um, people who will enforce it, like um, teachers, principals, staff members, I think it's important that like they all know about this, whether we have meetings to set up so they know what to do um, and with the when the guidelines will be released so they know what to do and like how to go about if someone says or does something racist and how to go about it. Because if we don't, if enforcing the policy um, doesn't go right, then like it's like such a big step. It's the reason why we did this and enforcing it is the biggest part. Um, and if we ignore that and uh, staff and principals and teachers aren't, um, aren't enforcing it properly, then that's just a loss of a, lots of work that we've done over the past 10 months. Thank you so much, um, which makes uh, a lot of sense because um, enforcing it, sure, it's like you want to make sure that things aren't performative um, and that it is actually held accountable. So um, I do want to say, although there we there was a moment when we had to um, navigate um, the the system and knowing the system, I think is the most important process uh, throughout advocacy. And so knowing the system of MCCSC, like meetings, the the cadence of the meetings, like what. What do you have to do throughout the meetings? Um, what do you have to, how do you show up? 
What time do you show up? Those are some necessary steps to be mindful of um, when um, navigating through advocacy. And so I'm curious, um, uh, JL and Sydney, as we wrap up, what was this your first process throughout learning the school board uh, rhythm? Like, was this your first time like learning it? Did you have, were, were, were there some bumps on the road when you had to come to the meeting, you thought you could speak, but then you didn't sign up? Were there anything uh, learning uh, moments that you uh, navigated through um, the advocacy uh, process? Yes. So there. Okay. So the first thing would be that it was super hard to like find out how to go to one of the meetings. Um, we had to do a lot of research, and Dr. Riley really helped us with this one because at first we didn't even know how to go to the meetings, how to publicly comment, what the rules were. So we had to do a lot of um, digging. And it's like in the website somewhere, but you have to go through multiple links and like multiple links to look at it. And then it sends you to another web page and then you have to go to those links. So it's really hard, like kind of navigating how to um, how to just even go to the school board meeting. But once we got that down, I felt like um, another obstacle would just probably be um, how how it how it works, like the language that they use, the speaking cadence that they use, um, the motions that they use that that taught me a whole different um thing as well and I think it really helped me with my debate my debating uh club as well just seeing how a formal um how formal board goes because the type of debate I do is congress and so it was really awesome to see how um the the motions that they use and what they mean and stuff so I learned about a lot about that and so um one of the one of my family members wants to start an anti-racism policy for their school board and so she wants me to help and I feel like I can really help her so yeah I'm re- it took it taught me a lot as well gave me a lot of experience so I'm very thankful for that that is amazing 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 well you'll have to keep us abreast of how that process goes um and and what that looks like for for you kind of moving this forward beyond Bloomington like that's really cool or beyond this this particular school system that's that's really cool um so please keep us posted on that um Sydney I want to ask um what is next for you all um what's next for Sydney and then JL come back to you what's next for you um we know that you're you're you know advocating and you're um (laughs) you're consultants (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> for other for other school systems but um and I also want to just put in a, a a bit of congratulations to Sydney who um was just named the outstanding uh leader of tomorrow for the city of Bloomington and she was recognized um last weekend that was a week ago um during Black History Month so congratulations Sydney um so what's next for you when you think about short term or long term what's what's next Thank you for congratulating me. I really appreciate it. But um, yeah, I would say um, I'm not going to stop here. I mean, I think I want to do this when I get to college and then out of college and continue to speak when I see things that are wrong and things that I think could be better or things that we could do better. Um, But I'm also going to like, I'm not going to be here at MCCSC all my life. Um, 
I'm going to encourage my siblings to speak on things that they see things that are wrong and encourage my peers as well. Because although like me, JL, Safine and Sabra were voices, but we're not the only voices. Um, there's lots of different experiences. One experience that a student may have, I may have never seen before and it may look very different but it's still an experience that should be acknowledged and talked about. And I think advocating um, your voice and having a good platform to speak on is really important. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. That's a beautiful way for us to wrap up this conversation. But before we do, definitely want to encourage folks to attend the school board meetings, attend all of the meetings that you are, um, that you're welcome to attend. So please make sure that you um, go to the to the MCCSE website, visit those meetings. They happen every fourth um, Tuesday, I believe. Is that correct? Every fourth Tuesday um, of the month. So make sure that you look look at that schedule and attend those meetings. Um, and you can attend them attend them virtually too. So just make sure that you check those out. Um, our thanks to the student equity ambassadors, Sydney Crossley and JL Davis, along with Ruth Eit, member of the Monroe County branch of the NAACP, for helping us to unpack the recent MCC anti-racism policy and kicking off National Women's History Month. And on that note, Maquiba, can you take us to a few announcements of things that are going on um, in Monroe County to celebrate Women's History Month? I sure can. Make sure you all take out your pens, pencils, whatever you have as you're listening. There's a ton of stuff. If I'm missing something, I do apologize. So I know that with the um, March 17th, uh, there's a couple of different dates, but specifically March 17th, Resilience Productions, the Monroe History Center, uh, Remarkable Women, <clears throat> Righting the Wrongs is hosting a showing at the Monroe County History Center, March 17th. Please go ahead and mark your calendars. I believe the time starts at 7 p.m. Um, shout out to uh, Liz Mitchell, Gladys Devane. I believe Gladys Devane is the one who wrote this script. Um, so special shout out to that. And then March 25th, which is a Saturday, there's gonna be a community conversation hosted by the Arnold Ventures Project, uh, focusing on promoting racial justice and transparency in Indiana. The NAACP is in partnership with the prosecutor's office and also IU researchers. This will take place Sunday, March 25th from 2 to 4 p.m. at Monroe, Monroe County Public Library, 303 East Kirkwood Avenue. Next up, there's going to be a ton of forms because there's an election season. There is an election season. So um, real quick, uh, Tuesday, March 21st, the Chamber of Commerce will be hosting uh, Elect and Connect. Saturday, March 25th, Apatow Omega Chapter of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority will be hosting at Crestmont Boys and Girls Club. Tuesday, March 28th, Heading Home of South Central Indiana, Focus on Low Income Housing or Homelessness at Crestmont Boys and Girls Club. Saturday, April 1st, now uh, National Organization of Women, University Alliance for Racial Justice, NAACP, um, AKA Chapter, Indiana University Political and Civic Engagement, and IU Student Government will be hosting a partnered um, forum on Saturday, April 1st, 2003, 2 to 5 p.m. Location is Monroe County Public Library. 
podcast will be live streaming. In addition, we have Monday, April 3rd, 6.30 p.m., issue form at Tri North. And then finally, we have another issue form, Monday, April 10th, the Chamber of Commerce will be hosting a meet and greet the candidate. Um, and if you have any questions, please feel free to uh, email us here at Bring It On, and we can further uh, share this, uh, all of the events that's taken place between March and April, because we do have an election season. So please make sure you are um, informed. And I would be remiss if I didn't say, make sure you're registered to vote. <laughs> we want to make sure everyone is registered to vote. Um, be a part of the uh, the process uh, so we can solve these solutions that are taking place in our community. But the number one thing that we can do, must do, I encourage us to do, is to vote. Yes. Thank you, Makweba. Bring It On has an open submission policy. So if you have an idea for this program, we want to hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to make sure you share everything and anything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address, once again, is bringiton at wfhb.org. Bring It On's executive producer is Clarence Boone. Our assistant producer is Liz Mitchell. Show consultant and WFHB News Department Director is Katie Young. Program engineer is Chantel LaFonte. Original theme music was created by Jamal Ifan, Ifan, with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I am Maquiba Reese. And I'm Gloria Howell. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 6 p.m. for another edition of Bring It On, right here on your community radio station, WFHB. Uh, good evening. I hope you enjoyed that broadcast of Bring It On. As always, it's our delight to bring you the latest, greatest information and stories of relevant community. We have a little um, bonus feature of Bring It On. We have three ladies that are on tonight to talk about an outstanding program that's coming our way on March 17th and 18th at 6 p.m. March 19th, also at 3 p.m. at the Monroe County History Center. And here to tell us more about it, we have Liz Mitchell, Gladys Devane, and Danielle Bruce. So ladies, take it away. All right. This is Liz Mitchell. Resilience Productions is conceived and created by Danielle Bruce, Gladys Devane, and myself, Elizabeth Mitchell. We are three women who believe in the power of storytelling. As an ensemble, we research, write, and produce live performances inspired by actual historical events in the forms of plays, poetry, and staged readings. These productions are intended to cultivate an awareness as much as to entertain. By depicting the African-American experience, from hardships and struggles to triumphs and successes. We are recognizing those bold and deserving men and women, ensuring their legacy will not be forgotten. So here are my fellow co-founders of Resilience Productions to talk about our upcoming productions, Writing the Wrongs. Danielle, you want to tell us about this play? Sure. Yes, thank you so much, Liz. Um, this is a piece that we're working on, uh, we worked on, that is part of our Remarkable Women series. And we are working with the History Center again. We did this pre-COVID and had a lot of success with it um, during Women's History Month, but we'll do it again throughout the year and again in October. Um, this piece, Writing the Wrongs, is a reimagining of three women, Ida B. Wells, Frances Harper, and Lillian Thomas Fox. 
And if their lives in the year 1892, if they had intersected in a way that would have influenced and affected one another, we don't know if they did. We know that they were all alive in that year. And but we don't know exactly if they ever did connect physically, you know, and um, and so we go through from that period and then follow up the next 20 years and how these women's lives kind of intersected. And it's a it's a really powerful, very interesting piece. We get to use a lot of their their own words, their own experiences and um, and kind of fill in the blanks, if you will. You know, wouldn't you say that, Gladys? Right. In fact, uh, I think it's very important to let you know that the events that we talk about in this production actually happen. So we are taking events that happened in history and we are reimagining them if these three women's lives had collided for a split second and if they had interacted, what that interaction would have looked like. So what the women you... existed and, and the events existed, and then it's everything in between that the fiction comes in. Right. <laughs> and what we're talking about is actually what they were doing at that time, um, at that uh, at that time in history. Uh the year 1892, 1893. Um, so the information that we're giving you is based on historical facts. And we're going to, it's actually, um, it's at the Monroe County History Center, and it is on uh, the 17th and 18th, and the curtain is at 6 p.m., and then on the 19th at 3 p.m., and we have an incredible cast. Gladys is in it. Um, Liz is also in it. We have Leah McGrath as Ida B. Wells, who's phenomenal. Ken Farrell, as well as Annie, I wish I could pronounce her last name better, (laughs) but she, um, but she's new to the stage and she's exceptional. So um, it's a great cast and it's a, it's actually a very tight piece. It's very short. You know, it's not a very long piece at all. One minute. Yeah. Okay. So, the ticket cost? Price yes, of tickets? The tickets are $20 uh, for general admission and 15 for seniors and military. And for children under 10, it's 10. And they can be purchased at the Buskirk Chumley box office. And each production will be followed a question and answer um, uh, session in which you can talk with the director and our actors and ask them any questions uh, related to the production. Yeah, they'll have a reception and talk back after every show. Okay, well, thank you very much, ladies. And we hope that our listening audience will join us on Friday, Saturday, or Sunday performance. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.